Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. As we're trying to climb our way out of the pandemic, for us, patients need really more than ever complex care and we have that ability to provide that but just like you're seeing in different national media the inflation the cost of taking care of patients have gone up so a lot of us are still trying to figure out how do we climb out of not just the pandemic but really some of the financial challenges that i think we're all dealing with Thanks for joining us on This Week Health Keynote. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to our keynote show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Sempris, and Veritas for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. All right, today we are joined by Chris Harper from Kansas University actually University of Kansas Health System. It's KUMC is your email. And I I always want to go to Kansas University. My daughter applied there, ended up not going there. I was very sad. Chris Harper, Joint CIO for the University of Kansas Health System. Chris, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Bill. It's an honor again. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. You've been doing some great stuff in the world of analytics. You have a new title since last time we talked and but I always, I like to start in the same place just to keep a rhythm here because people are always asking me to make sure we talk about the system. Tell us a little bit about, about the University of Kansas Health System. Yeah, so we're obviously based out of Kansas, mainly out of the Kansas City metro area, but no, we're a, a proud academic medical center who's been here in Kansas and Kansas City serving our state and community for over a hundred years. And, and then from a clinical practice and hospital perspective. No, we just continue to grow and expand and have amazing patients and caregivers that, that, that call here home. And so then we're just very proud of the work we've done. And obviously been very proud to support our organization and patients through the technology and the data analytics that we're able to use. I, it's rare that I have studio envy, but I, I sort of have a little bit of studio envy here. The, the nice thing about working for an academic medical center being tied to a, a university like Kansas is you guys have a professional studio. That's a, that's a fantastic location. If, if people are listening to this on the podcast, it, just picture like an NBC studio. And that's where Chris is sitting right now with his, his suit and tie with the Kansas logos in the background. You guys did a lot of work out of there for the pandemic, didn't you? We did. So I got to give a little shout out and a plug for our team who really does run a high production professional studio. And so I think we recently won, I heard last week, three or four different Emmys for the work that we've done really throughout the pandemic and providing a great expert opinions and, and thoughts on what was going on with the, 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 the pandemic, but also really bringing our community together. So to your point, we're I think we we're the only ones that had this kind of a capability. So we use this um, really as an asset to be able to connect different 
chief medical officers to come together and have a dialogue. We facilitate a lot of conversation with state and federal leaders. And so it's been, it's one of those things that when you kind of hear that, hey, we're building a studio, you're like, okay, why are we doing that? But <laughs> it's been such a value and an asset. It, it, it became obvious in the pandemic, didn't it? People were looking right. to you, to the health system for information. It's like, hey, what's going on with this pandemic? What does it actually mean? Should I be scrubbing my Amazon boxes? What What's going on? And they're looking to you to be the trusted partner. And you guys were able to use the studio to get the information out there. That's exactly right. And, and I think that's the key thing is how do we stay in our lane, so to speak, right? Because, you know, what we do is take care of patients. And so how do we connect what we do to this? And it just kind of magically worked out. Well, there's an awful lot. We are absolutely going to talk about your analytics journey. I often refer to the University of Kansas Health System. When people ask me about analytics programs, I often point them in your direction because I, I love the last conversation we had and I've been following the progress. We're going to get to analytics, but I, I want to start more broad and just say there's an awful lot going on in healthcare. What are some of the priorities that the University of Kansas Health System has going into this year? It's funny because we're going to end up in talking about our data analytics program at the end, but really what's been happening in the last year is you're hearing in a broader healthcare industry, obviously, as we're trying to climb our way out of the pandemic, for us, patients need care, patient needs really more than ever complex care. And, and we have that ability to provide that. But just like you're seeing in different national media, the inflation, the cost of taking care of patients have gone up. So a lot of us are still trying to figure out how do we climb out of not just the pandemic, but really some of the financial challenges that I think we're all dealing with. And so if you talk to you know other CIOs throughout the country, we're all trying to figure out, I think yesterday I was on a call with seven different CIOs and the key topic has always been is, okay, are you going to hit your budget? You know, am I going to hit my budget? Because I think right now, again, whether it's a technology cost, labor costs, or, or supply costs are all increasing in a way that we're trying to still survive, but also try to figure out how to thrive in this kind of a financial constraint. And so one thing that, you know, I think our team has done here amazingly where this our clinical team or the, the data analytics team or the IT team is to kind of come together and really use the data to figure out where we need to aim, how we're going to climb our way out of it and, and really using the data to kind of help us to see where, where we need to go. Well, that's, that's the beauty of having a good data and analytics program in place. I've been talking to CIOs for the last five years, but coming out of the pandemic, going into a high inflationary time, going into essentially a recession. And even if you didn't have the pandemic and you had a recession, people generally will put off care and those kinds of things. And so it's incumbent on us to figure out ways to connect with people and, and help them understand that when they defer care, when they put care off, that by the time they do present, in a lot of cases, they're a train wreck because you can't, it's like, it's like I tell my kids with the car, it's like when the light goes on, take it to the dealership. And they're like, well, it went on about six months ago. I'm like, you should have gone to the dealership six months ago. Now it's probably a bigger problem. And and health is sort of that way as well. And, and it's it's been interesting to talk to people because what they're being asked as CIOs, and I'm sure you're being asked is, all right, how is, how is technology a part of this solution? And the analytics program 
helps you to identify some of those areas. So let's give people a, just a brief update of what we talked about the last time. So you were you were brought in and uh, part of your coming into the organization was really around this analytics. So standing up this analytics program. So talk about the early days of standing this up and what are were some of the foundational elements that you put in place? About 10 years ago, so back in 2012, I was brought in or asked to come to KU to help start our, really the data warehousing and analytics strategy for our organization. We had amazing focus on taking care of patients and using data-driven outcome to really drive our, our improvements in patient safety, patient engagement, satisfaction, and improving those hard problems, taking care of patients. So we had the, the desire, the really the clinical teams and operational teams to be able to execute on that. Uh, but I think the wisdom of our, our executive team and the senior executive team is to say, hey, like, I think we could do better um, using better technology or a strategy. And so that's where I, I was asked to see if I could come and help start that. And my background really is in not just IT and strategy, but really um, I spent a lot of years in different industries like retail, finance, kind of building out those strategy. And, and Bill, you would remember this, like 23 years ago, the whole craze was around building a data warehouse, right? Whether it's, you got to pick the right. <laughs> data warehouse, right, data right, marks. Yep. 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 And so it's really focused on really the hardware and the chassis you're going to put all this data into, and then building a perfect model of understanding the business requirement, the clinical requirement, and you kind of build this pristine data warehouse with all these modeling. But, you know, what I, what I learned through my journey of failing multiple times in different industries that, you know what, like that's not the right approach. And so when I came to KU, I saw that we had this culture of data-driven outcome and really focusing on the problem first before you spend any dollar building any kind of a technology or spending any any money into something that, you know, you're going to miss what you're solving the problem for. So first thing I, I did really come here once I understood that we had that appetite and the culture here of, of being data-driven, I started to interview a lot of our senior executives, caregivers, physicians, executives, and all that, and, and got a really good sense that first thing we really needed was a, just a roadmap to be able to anchor us into, okay, how are we going to mature? Not just the, again, the technology is, is, is important, but it's not the most important. So what are some of the things like data literacy, what are some of the things like understanding the governance of how to manage the data. So built a roadmap to be able to kind of show that we're going to start an investment this year, but it's a journey and it's really a never ending journey. So we're going to have to continue to mature and invest into, again, the people, process and technology. And so after about spending six months understanding kind of what I assume to be our, our core need, we started to build out a multi-year journey and a roadmap to start investing into the people, the governance, the literacy programs, the training, hiring smart people and, and finding a right vendor and technology partner. And, and then we started to kind of build out that, what I call a modern digital infrastructure that includes data analytics as a, as a part of that 
that core chassis. And so we're about 10 years since then. And so we've had been very fortunate to have amazing outcome, amazing platform built, great team members who are helping our clinician and patients every day to solve complex problems using our data. All right, conference season is upon us and our team, This Week Health team, and I will be at the Chime Fall Forum celebrating their 30th year in San Antonio. And we're also gonna be at the health conference, HLTH, in Las Vegas the following week. While at these events, we're gonna be recording our favorite show on the road, which is Interviews in Action. And as you know, what we do is we grab leaders from health systems, healthcare leaders from across the country, and we capture 10 to 15 minute conversations with them to hear what's going on, what they're excited about, what are their priorities and those kinds of things. It's a great way for you to catch up very, very quickly on what other health systems are thinking and doing across the industry. So don't miss a chance to hear what's happening from these great leaders. We actually air this on the community channel, This Week Health Community. It's the green one. So if you go out onto your podcast, listener of choice and do a search for This Week Health, you're gonna see three channels. The community channel is where we're gonna air the interviews in action going forward. This channel is also where community members like yourself have been invited to do interviews of their peers. And so that is moving forward as well. So check those out as well. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Just go ahead and do that in your podcast listener or head over to thisweekhealth.com and scroll down to the community channel and you can subscribe there as well. So look forward to catching you on our interviews in action. Yeah, so I, I wanna talk to you about that, the ROI, because one of the things you talked about at the Health Catalyst Conference was, was the ROI of the program. There's an awful lot of wisdom that went into that because a lot of these programs start to stall out when people see the costs associated with it. If you don't build out the the discipline, I think it is the best word of saying it, of putting the metrics around to show, hey, here are the clinical outcomes, here's the financial outcomes, here's the quality of care, just all the different outcomes that are possible. And without measuring that, people start to get a little antsy in terms of, is this program effective? Is it doing what it needs to do? Talk about laying that foundation together for for measuring the the overall effectiveness of a healthcare data analytics program. So really, I, I brought that importance of really measuring not only, obviously, from a taking care of patients and outcome and the quality improvements. Coming to a healthcare setting, this is my first career experience in a, in a healthcare setting. But I came from, as mentioned, retail and financial industry where, you know, when you work for a for-profit organization in many ways, that's the world I came into. So this is my not only first health delivery setting, but also a nonprofit. And so I, I wanted to make sure I brought that discipline of, if you're gonna start a program or a strategy, you have to measure what is the cost to deliver that, right? So if you're going to build a, a dollar widget and you're spending two years every year, well, that's not a good business model, right? And so I brought kind of that thought process uh, and the, the importance of measuring not only, again, the improvements with patient satisfaction or improving CAUTI or CLAPSI or sepsis, but really understanding what is the cost to deliver those care, really having a discipline. So if I'm asking our organization to invest a dollar into 
any kind of a program or a purchase technology or invest into this capability called analytics. I just want to make sure that um, we have the ability to not only show uh, amazing outcome for the patients, how many lives we save, but also understanding the financial component of that so that it makes a, a good business investment sense. And so um, the other thing I saw healthcare uh, when I came in uh, 10 years ago was pretty immature in, in having either benchmarks or having ability to really for organizations to do that effectively. And so that's when, when I look for a vendor partner, really, because I knew that we didn't have the skill set to build um, the technology or the data warehousing at the time, I knew we had the improvement outcome skill set and team members and taking care of patients, but we really didn't have in-house skill set and ability to help measure, help develop the program. And so I specifically saw after six months understanding kind of the problem we needed to solve, a vendor who can kind of do this with us. Because the other thing is, and I wanted to make sure we have our ways of measuring internally, but I, I wanted to make sure it's peer verified and, it, and there's a benchmark that we can do this together. And so that's where we found a vendor who shared the same passion, same vision, and, and wanted to kind of build it together. And so uh, I think after about eight years of our program, yeah, we were able to show that we invested, every dollar we invested, we were able to get 3.6 fold financial and patient outcome. And so we, we try to convert some of the more of the quality and safety and clinical workflow improvement, things like that. And then we translate that into actual dollars. And so yeah, we were able to show that in eight years, we invested, if we invested dollar, we have invested dollar into this program and we were able to show a 3.6 return on investment. Yeah, that's fantastic. Everybody's talking about hospital at home, health at home. MarketWatch article states that in-home hospitalizations saves five to $7,000 per episode. And with the economy where it's at and the pressures that are on health systems, this is an important topic. On December 1st, join us for a webinar with a panel. They're gonna be able to share how they stood up a successful program and work through the complex requirements for helping patients recover in a comfortable and familiar setting. You can register on our website, thisweekhealth.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner. We have current webinars and upcoming webinars. You can register right there. And uh, you could also, in that registration, put any questions you have, and we will try to address those questions during the webinar. We love doing that and love having you be a part of the conversation. So I look forward to seeing you there. I'm gonna push you a little bit to go into the nerdy side of this, because. I've set up these, I've set up cost-based accounting systems. I've done that in IT, I've done that in the system. I've done all, all those kinds of things. And it, it can get to the point where you're serving the model, right? How did you set up the model so that it's not onerous or take an inordinate amount of time to track all the investments in the system? So I'm going to try to, that's a very complex topic, yeah, right? And so... <laughs> so, so what, what typically I, I break it down into is there's people cost, there's supply cost. So in a technology space, a lot of that is license for purchasing a BI tool, business intelligence tool, or paying for a server or a cloud infrastructure. And so there's kind of the, the supply slash vendor cost. And then there's the other costs around, whether it's variable cost that, that always comes in, whether uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, but 
And so, so you try to break that down into chunks. Oh, I remember the last one is really the work it takes to deliver that cost, right? So there's a different model. So if it's when I did retail, um, helping an organization stand up a, a let's say, a selling a coffee, for instance, right? So you can go from a, a capturing that data because you have to first have the data to be able to measure anything. And so in a retail setting, whether it's selling goods like a big box store like Walmart or Target, uh, there's a point of sale system that captures the revenue and all of that. And then you have internal accounting tools, understanding the, the labor costs, the people costs. And then you have kind of a, really a, a technology that captures the workflow so that you can see from going from really purchasing the goods all the way to delivering and getting your, your revenue or money from your customer. You have to understand that, that flow of it and then make sure you have the right data points and the technology to be able to capture that. So then you can really kind of understand, again, it's really input versus output. And so what I recognize when I came into the healthcare setting is healthcare is truly so complex in a way we knew we could capture the, the labor cost pretty effectively. So whether it's to your point, cost counting system, ERP system, different ways to capture that. And then when I came to K, we have started our journey of implementing Epic and so our EMR. So we knew that we had the ability to capture um, kind of the workflow of taking care of a patient. And then you just needed the ability then to bring all of that, that massive amount of data in a data infrastructure to be able to harmonize and normalize that, but also have an ability to adjust and, and really pivot as you go. And so and that's kind of what we built eight years ago is really that data platform. We started with obviously a handful of different source systems, as you call it, whether it's Epic is just one source system from an EMR. We, we capture cost accounting, budget data, a time tracking like Kronos. So we, we really start chasing after whatever the problem we're trying to solve, make sure we have the right source system to be able to not only understand improvement from an outcome of taking care of that, that patient, but also what did it cost to deliver that, right? So we were able to kind of find vendor who, who had the ability to really help us understand. One thing that when I knew I wanted a specific capability, and really talked to different uh, peers out there, I really loved what UPMC was really doing around what's called the activity-based cost accounting system, right? To be able to understand, because again, in healthcare, taking care of a patient, there's there's so many complexity and so many caregivers and so many things that comes in really taking care of that patient. So understanding what activity did it take to really deliver that care was important. And so we sought to make sure we had a partner or a vendor that can help us to, to understand that and capture that data. So long story short, once you have all of those things as a foundation, now we can actually replicate and scale different problems that we can solve. So we initially started actually our program to prove this can work with five different problems, so to speak. So things like, so we looked at the internal data and said, okay, what are, what are most impactful five things that we can do for our patients? Started with things like 30-day heart fail, failure re-emission because we knew that we had a, a care improvement team that was really gung-ho, but also 
we knew that's an area we can improve on. And so we focused on five problems like that, understood then the problem we needed to solve, understood what technology and data then we needed to collect, mm -hmm. and then build a, a dashboard or visualization to be able to help our clinician really on a, a near real-time basis, every day can look at how do I improve this care or how do I prevent this patient from coming back in 30 days from this heart procedure they've had. So yeah, so probably said a lot there, but that's kind of how we got our start. And, and eight years later, kind of repeating that process and the platform, we were able to, again, measure out that we had about three points, more than three times the return on investment. I'm trying to figure out which way I want to go here because, you know, you started talking about, uh, by the way, phenomenal program. Love it. I, I love the cost-based accounting stuff as well. We've had Rob Dimache on the show and he and I have talked about how he came into the industry and it's, as a CFO at UPMC and sort of scratched his head and looked at things and it's like, we don't know how much it costs to care for a patient, how much it costs to do. And as somebody from outside the industry, he was like, we've got to remedy this. You can't run a business without knowing what your cost of delivering care is. So, I mean, that's that's been interesting. I think what I want to talk to you about, though, you started off talking about data marts and data warehouses, and that's where we were a decade ago. The, the environment's changing and the requirements are changing. It used to be analytics was rear view sort of, sort of mirror and we had some time to put them together and more and more the organization saying hey new and different data sets bring them in very quickly and and we want you to start instead of looking backwards and giving us some transparency into this stuff we want you to start swinging around and starting to look forward a little bit and give us a little a little notice when things are going bad. How is the technology changing or ha how has it changed over the last decade? No, great question. And I feel like I'm, I'm aging myself, but you know, even a decade ago, most of your technology was, you know, what, what an IT speak called on-prem, meaning you bought a bunch of servers and whether it's different type of server vendors like Oracle or EMC or different, you, you buy this, bunch of servers and a bunch of hardware and have enough storage and computing power to be able to really collect the data and store it, um, transform it in a way that you can normalize it. And so what, what we've seen kind of the evolution is uh, since 10 years ago, we started with just like many other organizations 10 years ago, purchasing the hardware, the servers that they could compute and store the data. Um, but we knew that that the future um, was to be able to get to a lack of better cloud infrastructure, right? So that we have the ability not to ingest data rather quickly, but if we had to scale our infrastructure, a lot of times, and actually right now is a perfect time to talk about this because procure hardware like that, it takes months of planning. It takes months of getting funding approval and really, because you don't want to buy too much up front, right? So you want to buy a, a storage that's going to hold 10, right. 10 terabytes, and but you know, yeah, you're only and, going to use and, first And the year. boxes you're talking about were very proprietary, specific, expensive boxes that, heck, by the time you acquired them in three to four years, you were going to have to swap them out anyway. That's exactly right. And so typically you upgrade your boxes, so to speak, every five to seven year, depending on the life cycle and usage. And so, like I said, having come from a different industry, the prior organization that I worked with, we actually had what's called a hybrid model where 
we knew enough that we needed a hard chassis that we can invest into and get value out of it. But we also invested into like a lot of the experimental data analytics things. Really, you don't need to invest all that hard capital upfront. So then we partnered with actually AWS. We're, I think we were the, one of the first uh, to par partner with them to really have kind of a hybrid model where on-prem and a cloud infrastructure be able to scale and be flexible. So if you build something that you know you're only going to need for six months, we would stand it up in the cloud infrastructure versus if it's something that's more permanent, once it's proven out, then we can put it into our hardware. So we kind of had this model. So one of the vision or the roadmap that, you know, I wanted to make sure we bake in is that that roadmap of we're going to start here on the on-prem purchasing our boxes, but really migrating towards a cloud infrastructure. And interesting enough, I think that really came to a forefront when the pandemic hit is quickly, we had to figure out what this thing was, COVID, the pandemic, but also work with the local, the regional, state level, and even at the, the national level of understanding, collecting data so you can make decisions together. So just use an example we had, we knew that pandemic hit, we sent students back home, right? So when this whole thing was happening, so University of Kansas as a institution, we needed to figure out before the students came back, okay, like what's the right timing? Does the local community hospital have enough beds? Do they have enough infrastructure? That's because not only the university leaders need to make a decision, but also the hospital needed data to help help make that decision. The county level folks needed to, to make sure because it was, it was kind of all hands on deck. Well, because we built this kind of a cloud hybrid infrastructure, we were really the only one that had the ability to not wait to purchase a bunch of hardware to kind of stand us up, but we had the infrastructure already to say, once we got the group together within two weeks, we were able to bring the data in, bring external data in, and then really figure out, start building out what the problem is, and then really supporting the data to be able to do it. But there's no way we would be able to do that especially in the early days of pandemic without having that cloud infrastructure. So that really came into a play. And then if I project out where we're at now, where we're headed is not only the cloud infrastructure, but you mentioned about near real-time data and how do you be able to, because, you know, when we started, we brought in data every night, right? So we knew what happened as far as midnight last night. And then Every night we would load uh, um, all of the data, but now we built in um, capabilities to be able to have certain data from whether it's EMR or others near real time. So as soon as it gets captured in your source system, now we're able to bring that in within five seconds or whatever the right requirement is. But so we're able to kind of have not only the infrastructure, but also connectivity with our um, ETL systems and API system to be able to really uh, bring in all kinds of different data on the right time that we really need to solve whatever the problem is. Well, so, you know, the the other thing I wanted to ask you about is social determinants and other things. We're, we're being asked more and more to bring in data from outside to provide context for the data that we have inside. How does that look different? How does it look different to bring in those external data sources to utilize them? My phrase has always been as a health system, we have a lot of data, but what you're referring to is kind of that, that big data problem, right? So within our four walls of taking care of patient, we know a lot about what happens here, but really as we have moved into, and we'll more lean in towards that 
predictive, algorithm-driven, understanding really that complexity of not just the patient while they're here, but you know, what's their behavior when they're at home or their environmental factors. And so there's a lot of different data from a hospital that we can, we can go about collecting. So you can build your own capability, like with the mobile devices, you can connect to different Apple phones or a different kind of a device to be able to collect and input some of those data. So you just got to be really thinking about, again, what problem you're solving and what do you need to solve that with? A lot of the social determinant of health, when we first looked at that and we said, that's helpful information to know, but how is that helping us to solve a problem, right? So one of the things that we try to be thoughtful is every time we procure external data, whether you purchase it or build your own capability or, or partner your way with other organizations, we just try to be, again, thoughtful about what problem we solve for the patients and then what then data that we can help to improve. So our, our data scientist science team actually helps us with understanding that. And so they'll think through what, as they run their algorithms and models, if there's a way to increase that predictive power to help solve, whether it's a specific disease or other problems that if we kind of think that the saturated, the variation of data we need, then we'll start to look at, okay, maybe to improve this predictive power, we need to start looking beyond what we have today. And then we'll start to have the dialogue with that team around what's the other things then we think we can reliably procure and, and, and the other big, we can spend like months just talking about data quality, right? That's the other thing is, and when you start procuring external data, you got to think through on the quality of that information and how do you make it kind of a data hygiene process to make sure that when you plug it in, you can repeat it, it's reliable and, and it's consistent. And so, so there's a lot of different ways going about it. But again, back to, we try to focus on what problem we're solving and then do we need to, additional data from a variation of information. And then we'll start to look at those external factors. Actually, we're coming up on our time here. I want to close with, let's see, two questions. Is there, is there any area of technology that you're keeping an eye on that, that uh, you think will have an impact on healthcare? Actually, kind of going back to you know, even just, just my role taking on, so I, I recently took on not only the CIO for the health system, taking care of patients in our clinics and, and make sure our caregivers have the technology and the data they need. But I had the, the very honor of actually when our medical center, so the teaching side of our institution retired as a CIO, I've had opportunity to take on that role. And so, so where I see this heading is really being very fortunate in an institution like ours, not only we have the data and the capability to take care of patients, but now we can augment research. So the project actually we're doing right now have kicked off is really, we built this hybrid cloud and on-prem data infrastructure and analytics infrastructure. And now we're adding our research capability on top of that. So we have an active project that was that's working towards that. So that's where I think we're headed, but also a couple of things I'm really keeping an eye on is one is your ability to, to do that safely, right? So if you think about we're very fortunate that our patients come and see us and trust us with their care. You know, we have to take care of the data in, in a way. So we're really not keeping an eye on how do we, as we, again, has mentioned, move towards that, that cloud and different infrastructure, making it safe, but also how do we make it from a automation, machine learning, so that 
a lot of what we do now we can kind of think about how do we remove the human or the manual factor and automate that. So I've been really, there's, I would say the, the AI space commonly known has matured quite a bit, but there's still a lot of unproven things that are being touted as, oh, if you just buy this, this will do this. And a lot of the, the technology vendors will say a lot, but you know, there's still a lot of things have to be proven to make sure it's reliable technology and it's scalable. And so, so that's kind of probably two spaces I'm really keeping an eye on is, okay, how do we really leverage the power of computing artificial intelligence to be able to help our care caregivers or patients so that the machines can kind of help you automate, but also how do we do that safely so that we can protect the data and the technology and, and things that we're doing so that it does not get disrupted. All right, last question. I want you to think about a vendor partner that you've worked with over the last five or six years. And uh, we, have, we have a lot of uh, partners and, and vendors who are trying to partner with healthcare who listen to this show. And in our surveys, they said, hey, could you start asking these CIOs for what they value in those vendor partners? What they So if you think of one that has been a particularly good partner to you over the years, what are the characteristics of that vendor partner and how do they help you to deliver on the, the needs of the community that you serve? The funny thing is, I think it's no different than building out your own IT team or healthcare team or any kind of a team is really a vendor partner. First thing I look for is really the culture and the people that not only, you know, the leadership, the executives, but really the culture that exists there. Because one thing that I value is I don't more and more as I get, maybe, maybe I'm getting older, but I want my vendor to be less transactional, but really focusing on helping us solve problems, right? So I, I don't want it to be where I just purchase goods and services from them, but I really want to partner with them in a way that we can kind of solve bigger problems together. So that's one is really understanding the culture that exists and then really from executive all the way down to frontline staff, like do they truly care about taking care of the customer if we're going to purchase their service and goods. So probably that's one of the most important thing I try to make sure I pay attention to. And then from a technology, I, I want to make sure that sometimes you do need a kind of a point-to-point a -point solution, meaning I need this vendor or technology to solve particular problem, but I, I always look for opportunities to say, can this vendor partner really help me build a, a scalable platform, right? So that it's not just this one problem I'm solving, but do they have an opportunity to help solve more problems and scale that in the future? So a lot of times I, I want to make sure I understand, you know, not only their current technology, but where's their vision around leveraging that existing capability to really grow and, and partner with us deeper as we go because it is so hard today there's so much technology out there i mean literally i get probably like 100 emails from vendors every day <laughs> saying hey have you thought about this or hey we can help you solve this problem so it just saturates especially in healthcare in the last uh, 10 years is we're just inundated with all these new technology that's hitting our our industry but really what I, what I try to pay attention to is, again, the culture and the people 
as just something somebody that we can work with and make sure that they're going to take care of us. But you know, where they headed, right? Again, we're not just buying a, a specific uh, solution, but I want to see if there's an opportunity for us to kind of work together in a long-term period. Yeah. And for those partners who are working email out there, I think the number of times I've gotten an email and done business with a partner, like my first contact with them is an email is like one out of a thousand. <laughs> it's just, it's, <laughs> it's so rare because more times than not, it's, it's, it's me picking up the phone, calling you and saying, Hey, Hey, Chris, I know you guys have done this and this, how, how are you guys going about it? And you say, well, Hey, our partner's not really that good there. We're looking at somebody else. Or you'll say, Hey, we've got a great partner here. Let me tell you some of the things we've done. That's more likely to happen than the email that pops across your desk that you go, Oh my gosh, I'd never thought of that. That's amazing. Yeah. What a great, what a great pitch. Oh, um, they're getting so creative with their emails now. I don't know if you're seeing that, but it's like, they'll add like a joke or they'll add like a, some, some, like a sound bite or uh, what do they call it? Like a clip art or something that trying to yeah. get their, your attention to pay attention to their email. Right. So they're, they're being very creative in how they're emailing you nowadays. Yeah. It's amazing. Chris, I want to thank you for your time. I look forward to seeing you next week. This will give it away when we're recording this. Actually, I look forward to seeing you next week at Chime. Should be fun to, to catch up with you and the rest of our colleagues face to face should be fun. Well, hey, Bill, always appreciate having a conversation and honored to be on your podcast again. And yeah, we'll, we'll see you next week. Sounds good. What a great discussion. If you know someone that might benefit from a channel like this, from these kinds of discussions, go ahead and forward them a note. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to a show like this one. It's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, everywhere. Go ahead, subscribe today. Send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our keynote sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Those are Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Sempris, and Veritas. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.